Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we have a seasoned pro man with multiple exits, multiple multi-time successful entrepreneur, Mr. Chad Rubin. Uh, you may know him from the days at Scubana, which he exited, and we'll talk a little bit about that on the show today, hopefully. Uh, that successful exit. He was also a partner in Prosper Show, which to this day is one of the best Amazon shows uh, on the planet. Uh, the team here at OMG, we still attend. We're prepping to attend this year, which is awesome. And then Chad also had his own agency, which he exited. And now he's the founder of Prophecy. And that's a unique spelling on LinkedIn. The show notes I have Chad explain it in a second. But basically their mission is to maximize your profits. It's an AI dynamic pricing tool to maximize profits without hurting your ranking and your BSR on Amazon. And so we're, we're going to be dropping some Amazon truth bombs today. We're going to be talking about the keys to pricing and profitability on Amazon because it doesn't, it's not worth it just to sell on Amazon and erode all your profits, which a lot of people unwittingly do. And so we're going to show you how to be profitable and how to build a brand on Amazon. And so with that, Chad, Ruben, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking the hey. time. Good to see you, dude. Thanks for having me. Excited to be yeah, here. man. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about prophecy and explain how to spell it for those that are going to hear this and then Google it later. And then we're going to get into some juicy Amazon topics here. Maybe get into some healthy, mm -hmm. friendly debates as we go, which is always fun. But uh, yeah, talk about prophecy. Yeah. So prophecy, we're a dynamic AI driven repricer for Amazon brands. Uh, we change pricing to maximize for profitability without sacrificing your BSR on Amazon, your competitive positioning on Amazon. I've been doing this for about a year, uh, AI first. So before ChatGPT and AI was really a thing, I started focusing on AI because I thought that was the future. And uh, certainly I feel really certain in my assumption that AI is the future. And so how do you spell prophecy? It's P-R-O-F-A-S-E-E, -E, prophecy, prophets, you could see. It's a play on words. Uh, after I sold Stubana, I stared at a tree for a bit. And that name came to me and I was like, okay, it's predicting the future with a level of certainty. And what are we doing? We're predicting pricing with a level of certainty of how we're going to make you more money. Profits you see, and it is a prophecy because you can predict it. I love it. That's awesome. Um, so uh, let, let's actually, uh, let's lead with this because I know this is this is something that I'm interested in. We're looking at acquiring some agencies and we've, we've invested in some e-commerce brands and things. But a lot of my friends are in the, uh, in tip, dipping their toe in the M&A waters or they've had partial exits or fully sold. So let's just talk about this a little bit, then we'll get into some, some juicy Amazon takes. Uh, the Scubana exit, uh, what was that like? Any learnings, any takeaways? Because we hear horror stories like M&A is terrible, you're going to hate your life for a period of months, or it could be you know totally liberating or somewhere in between. Uh, it, takeaways from that experience. I mean, so many takeaways. Uh, where to begin? Uh, first of all, there's hair on every deal that's out there. right? There's always going to be hair. And for me, I'm like a skeptical individual. So I was skeptical the entire time of the process. And uh, luckily, we sold, I think, at the height of everything, which was April of 21. I couldn't have asked for a better time to sell. Totally. Uh, and so I think, you know, I, I did a lot of things to make sure that the deal went correctly with my business partner. Uh, we exited in the most beautiful and healthy way possible uh, collectively. Uh, what else can I share with you about the deal? Um, yeah, uh, it was definitely painful. I would say, like, let's just say you're going through the process right now. I think it's there's an art around bringing the, your the right 
inner circle of your company into the process? Like when is the right time to tell a few people in your right. inner circle of the company? And I think and you know, we did too that. Soon, you'll be very, like, hey, we're thinking about selling. People panic. People worry about their jobs. They're fresh up their resumes. They fired out the door because they think I'm, I'm going to be on the chopping totally. blocks. But you don't want to surprise them. And so, so yeah, what, what are your, what are your uh, nuggets about that? Well, I mean, I just, I think there's an art around it and like bringing people in the right time. So, you know, I made a list of the people who are absolutely necessary to be in the know about this acquisition. I got them excited about it because, well, I was excited about it. They would also benefit from the process, right? So there's a certain level of self-interest yeah, there. Everybody pulling on and the rope in the same direction or rowing in the same direction type of thing. Totally. Uh, you know, I think, you know, setting up calls around marketing and sales and development uh, I would make sure to get those questions in advance, 48 hours in advance of those phone calls so that we can prep and pre-process before those phone calls happen because I want to make sure that we're, we're nailing every question and come prepared. And so I think after the first, you know, the first time we had a call, we didn't get the questions in advance. And I was like, okay, like, this is going to have to change going forward and making sure that me and my team are meeting on those and actively working on those. And we're, you're, you're managing the business and operating it and making sure you're operating extremely well while you're going through the process. Yeah, and I know it's I know it's quite distracting those due diligence calls and the requests are numerous. And you know, you, you gotta keep the business running for obvious reasons. You want to take care of customers and you gotta keep revenues up, but also it's also imperative to the deal, right? You can't be so distracted on the MA portion of the deal that your profits slip or your revenues slip because then your business is less valuable and now you're getting less out of it as the as the deal goes on. So yeah, any any tips there or was that just just kind of disciplined you know, being dogged and determined and, and keeping focused. How did, how did you press ahead with M&A while still running the business, you know, day to day? Well, I think the beautiful thing was April of 20, uh, leading up to April of 21, right? We just, we had the shift of, uh, well, bricks to clicks with the pandemic. And we were directly in the epicenter of enabling people to sell online. And so we were capitalizing on the shift. On top of that, you had some acquisitions in our space like Stitch Labs and Trade Gecko, and we were consuming clients off those platforms. And so, again, it's just, it's knowing when to hold them and knowing when to yeah. fold them. And I think we just timed extremely well in the grand scheme of totally. things. And I like, I don't think I was, yeah. I was recently listening to a, I think it was a, it was definitely a podcast with Harry Stebbings and Jason Lemkin. And Jason was like, we will never see valuations ever again in the software space, similar to 2021. And I was like, bam, nailed <laughs> it, right? Like, <laughs> that, that's, yeah, it's amazing. Well, well, kudos to you guys. You, you put it, I mean, obviously you couldn't have predicted that. You, could, you didn't predict that when you started Scubana, but you did the right things. You, you had a valuable, successful company you saw the trend. You picked the timing when you, you picked the wave when you saw it, right? And so kudos to you guys. That's that's awesome. Uh, awesome exit. A lot of hard work, a lot of hair loss, uh, you know, seven <laughs> years of I almost, when you said every deal has logos. hair on it, I almost made a bald joke. I was like, well, maybe you want those deals. Anyway, uh, yeah, but uh, that, that's awesome. So kudos to you guys. And and yeah, what do you think? Um, and, and again, I know we've got some Amazon topics. So if you, dear listener, are not into M&A, one, you should be. I think you should be thinking about it at least. We'll get, we're getting Amazon in a minute, but where do you see M&A going here over the next year or two, or, or, or are you removed from it and not thinking about it a whole lot? I'm, I mean, I think if you're building a product that people love and helps and enables people to, to flourish and you're creating value, like inevitably someone will want to buy you over time. So like I'm necessarily not, I'm not at the stage where I'm already thinking about the sale. 
I'm always thinking about the sale, yeah. but simultaneously not thinking about the sale, yeah. right? Uh, I'm just thinking about how do I provide tremendous amount of value and create something that people absolutely love, and over time we'll we'll find we'll get love from somebody else that wants to buy us. Yeah, and I love you know the the Jeff Bezos quote that that in the the long term you know customer and shareholder interests are aligned, right? So. I love the idea of thinking about a sale from the very beginning, whether you know that's your goal or not, because to get your business in a healthy financial state growing in a healthy way, that's good for the longevity of your business if you decide to keep it forever and pass it down to generations or whether you decide to sell it. So yeah, I, lo I love the process of thinking about selling right away and um, you know, doing right by customers in the long run help, help, helps shareholders as well. So. Just two things on that. One is in our first seed deck, we did compile a list of potential acquirers and the company that bought us was not on that list. So it's never, Yeah. I'm not saying never, but it's not usually who you think it is going to be. And I think that's an interesting takeaway uh, that I wanted to share. And another takeaway I think is interesting is the acquirer or the suitor of Stubana, that was manufactured luck. So I was looking into partnerships and trying to figure out new ways to scale quicker and uh, faster and making it more impactful. And I had reached out to the CEO and we had this conversation and one thing led to another. And that's sort of what started this whole process. Nice. I love that. And I, and I think there's something to be said, though, about, you know, you prepared the deck. You thought about who would buy it. I think there's something healthy about that thought process, right, to, to again, make the business attractive for that group or thinking through why would this be interesting or attractive? Well, the product has to be good for any of that to be to be true. Uh, but then, yeah, manufactured luck. And and another way I've heard this said, uh, Jim Collins talks about, he calls it return on luck. Right? So like the most successful people, the most successful companies aren't more lucky or less lucky. They just make the absolute most of the luck they're given, right? And that's that's what you did. Like you're out there, you're, you built a great team and a great product and you're talking to CEOs and you're thinking about strategically how do we grow, expand, create mutual benefit, and then it opened the door for an awesome acquisition. So that's fantastic. Really, really cool. Um, great. Any, any other parting where I know we can, we can make the whole podcast about M&A. Some people wouldn't like that, so we'll, we'll move on. But any, any final tips on M&A um, in terms of, you know, whether advisors or podcasts to listen to or any, any takeaways if someone wants to go deep on M&A? Uh, like maximize shots on goal. Uh Find people, surround yourself with people like a, a council, a Jedi council of people who are going to empower you and help lead you through and Sherpa you through the process of an M&A. I did that. It's not something to go alone, right? Unless you're like seasoned M&A pro, which you're probably not. You, you, need, you need the Sherpa. You need a team around you. I had a great CFO that I hired that led the way. He's been through many edits and also making sure your financials are in order. I know it sounds like, hey, that's... Everyone has that, but it, uh, we certainly didn't have it. And I think many other companies don't have it. Uh, you know, even in SaaS, right, there's deferred revenues and bookings that happen, and getting that squared away is very important in the process. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally makes sense. Well, awesome. All right, let's, let's talk about Amazon. And, you know, you guys help maximize profits without slowing down BSR and without, without losing your rankings. And it, it's a dance, right? We, we all know that we want to improve our rankings and, and capitalize on that organic growth and the, the behemoth that Amazon is in terms of generating traffic and buyers. But if all we're doing is giving money to Amazon, and I've seen a lot of P&Ls from Amazon brands. I know you have too, where you're like, well, the only person making money here is Amazon, right? And so 
you know, we've got to have this structure in a way where you're building a brand and building it, it profitably. And so let, let's talk about that. What, what's kind of the art and science of pricing on Amazon? So I think, firstly, the reason why I started Prophecy was after years of spending time building Stubana and the Prosper Show and all these other things, I disregarded my e-com company. We manufacture vacuum filters and coffee filters. So I wanted to revive that business. I mean, it was getting bad. Um, we were getting copied. I wasn't putting a lot of time into it. I probably had the wrong team in place on top of it. So I got back into the game and I was trying to figure out how do I turn this business around? And there's a lot of, first of all, there's a lot of just a reckless uh, commentary around pricing from gurus in the Amazon world. And B, I don't think any seller or brand spends a lot of time thinking about pricing. And so they're making suboptimal decisions around pricing and they're under monetizing their products. And I felt that with my own brand on Amazon and started dogfooding, building prophecy for, for myself and then started opening up for other people the same way I did Stubana, right? So I found an itch to, itch to scratch and started building it for other people. Well, I was just going to say two things. One, I love the dog food reference. For those that don't know, uh, I think this is a Google term where they talked about, uh, well, then they borrowed from like Purina or something. But the, the idea is, say, you got to, if you want to make your product better, you got to eat your own dog food. And I guess there are stories of uh, maybe it's Purina eating, you know, people eating the dog food in the boardroom, which would be really funny to observe. Uh, but yeah, it's the idea of like, we got to try, if the product doesn't fit us, if we don't like it, nobody else is going to like it either. So I like that. And, and then I do want to maybe key on this, and if you think this is better to talk about in a minute, that's totally fine, but what, what's some of the reckless advice? I, I love that you said that, and I totally agree with you. What's some of the reckless advice about pricing that you hear uh, on Amazon? So like, pricing is easy to talk about, right? Everyone will be like, oh, just raise your price. Pricing is not your product. <laughs> right. I just want to sound smart. You change your own price. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, so pricing isn't one size fits all. So you can say, okay, just raise your price, right? Inflation's here, raise your price. Just do it. Just go do it. And that's what I was hearing, uh, especially when I took over my e-com company in October. Uh, I was like, that's absurd. That's crazy. Like, doesn't price need to be calibrated to what the buyer wants? And don't people have different conversion rates and sessions at different times of the day? Like, why is pricing static? And so the reckless advice is like, hey, just just go ahead and raise it, right? But raising isn't necessarily the most optimal decision. It could be actually lowering the price, which increases your velocity, which means you have more units sell through, which means you're generating more absolute profit dollars on the bottom line. So everyone's making these like knee-jerk reactions, and most Amazon brands are just focusing on uh, adjusting spend. And so if you're managing $10,000 of spend on Amazon today, you would never not optimize it. So why right. is nobody optimizing price? So that's right. really where I started to really question and ask why and build a discipline around this. That's, that's awesome. And, and so what are then, uh, I, know, I know your tool does this algorithmically and automatically, but what are some of the, the ways that you could be and should be optimizing price? And I really like the, the way that you point that out, that Yes, sometimes raising the price is absolutely the right answer, but sometimes lowering it and increasing your your sell through and your BSR and improving your ranking and all those all those metrics change that's better for you, right? So, how are you analyzing that? How does someone that, that doesn't have AI behind them analyze those things? So, I think we all have to understand, and I think everyone that's deep in Amazon gets this. There's a knock-on effect, right? So, if you change pricing today, it affects your orders tomorrow. And so, knowing that, you have to actually really be 
super hyper-focused on your price. And so if you're doing this by yourself, if you're doing it manually, right, you would create a spreadsheet for, and you'd have a tab for each ASIN and you would be looking at your current price, your impressions, your conversion rate, uh, your unit session percentage. Uh, you'd have your competitor, like the top 10, maybe competitors in there with their price. And you'd essentially have your profit for every day on those prices. And you'd actually start making small tweets and start seeing what these small tweets have on your bottom line of profitability and how, and also inputting in your BSR. So you're making these changes. And when you make changes to pricing on Amazon, it's not in a vacuum. And so you make these changes, you're making decisions around changes, managing to a specific net margin and have a continuous process around those changes implemented internally at the company. Nice. And like, how often are you changing prices so as not to, you know, mess mess things up, quote unquote. Is that a, is it a daily? Is it multi times a day? Are you talking about prophecy in general, or just uh, as a if, in, in general? And talk about prophecy too. But in general, like if someone's doing this manually and tweaking and observing, mm -hmm. what does that look like? And then yeah, what does what does prophecy do? So if you're doing this manually, I mean, I think the depends on how many products you have, right? But if you're doing it on ten products, it's probably you can probably do it manually, maybe. Uh, but I think you should be doing it once a day, and. Mm -hmm. This is a fundamental step because it's the smallest lever that swings the biggest door of profitability. Mm -hmm. But then you should be having weekly meetings with your finance team and with management and speaking about, hey, what are our target margins? Like what's happening based on these price changes and really connect pricing as a discipline across your roadmap for product, across your finance team, across marketing, across your ads team or your ad agency, whoever you're hiring to make sure that you're managing to expectations yeah yeah i like it uh you talked about you talked about spend a minute ago and uh well, well first of all uh, wh what else do we need to think about with with price any 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 tips or mistakes people make when it comes to pricing on amazon well i think that first mistake that i shared which is people don't know what the optimal price is and the only way to know truly is to look at the data so it's not just to raise price and i think I think, and I think this is going to the next segue of the conversation is there's so much data to capture, right? Here's your price, your BSR, your conversion rate, your session rate. We do a reverse ASIN lookup on all your competitors and we ingest it all into a model. And the beautiful thing about a model is that a model is self-learning and continuously learns and improves 24 seven. And I couldn't, the reason why I started building prophecy was I couldn't do that manually. And I also have a lot of SKUs, right? So. Uh, before we did a SKU rationalization at the company, I had about 500 and something SKU, private label SKUs, which is a lot to manage. Yeah. Did you, and did you, did you pare that down then through analysis or, or have you? Uh, oh yeah, it's been pared down quite a bit. Um, you know, 80-20 Pareto principle, we established criteria around what we want to keep and then liquidated the rest. So it's like, hey, what's the age of this inventory? What are the turns like on the existing inventory? What are our net margins? And based on specific benchmarks that we made, we said anything over a specific time frame or under a specific margin, we got rid of. Love it. I love it. Um, so yeah, so then as we kind of transition, because this is what we we're talking about before we hit record, you know, a lot of people that run Amazon businesses, you know, they're they're either doing this or their agency is doing this or marketing team, managing to hit an A cost goal, right? Advertising cost of sales. And you have to consider a cost, right? It's it's an important metric. You have to look at it. Uh, I also like what you said though too about you know you're not going to have ten thousand dollars in ad spend and not optimize it, right? But you don't optimize price. Uh, 
uh, yeah, when, when we're running Amazon ad campaigns, we're tweaking bids constantly. We do some manual and bulk work and software work and stuff too. But but uh, I, I love where you're going here, actually. And so I'll, I'll chime in in a minute. But why is optimizing for an A-cost goal a mistake and or short-sighted? Yeah, so a couple of things. It's a target. And it doesn't actually account for profitability. And so I, in the past decade on Amazon, it's been this like gold rush. We've all been able to capitalize on it. And now we're moving into uh, growing revenue profitably. Right. And so as an agency, and I, I would love to know, you know, you're an agency, you're a master at this. And I'm wondering if you guys collect this information, but most agencies that I talk to don't actually like collect inventory on hand or know, you know, what that looks like or know what your line of cost structure is. They're managing to a specific ACOS. Uh, and that ACOS, by the way, the, the ACOS equation is what you spend to what you make. And they're only adjusting one part of the equation. It's almost like having a peanut butter sandwich with no jelly. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's okay. It'll get you by, but it's, it's much more delicious when you combine it together. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, uh, and we do. So we look, we look at, you know, I think you've got to have a line of sight whether it's an agency, your in-house team, a freelancer, whatever you're hiring, a clear line of sight to total sales and, and what, is, what is our total A cost. But that's still the same thing. It's still, it's still just a metric or a goal. It's, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, we, we've had this discussion in our agency and our leadership team, like we want to hit X percentage of profitability. Well, that's cool, but like, don't we also want to think about total profits? Like we want to hit a number. We want to hit a profit number. So you got to think about that as well as the percentage. And so... Um, yeah, the, the, these are one of those. This is one of those scenarios where you need to think about total profits, right? And how does how does a shift in ACOS impact your total profits? Because you're not taking ACOS to the bank, and you're not selling ACOS to a potential buyer down the road, right? It's, it's based on profit and profit. Yeah, so ACOS doesn't tell the whole story, right? right. To me, it's right. it, it's a metric, and I. I I'm, I'm trying not to be mean about it, but it's like almost a gospel metric, but the real God metric is your profit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. We I actually just recorded a, a podcast. This is more on the D2C world, but with uh, Robert Rahill from Triple Whale, and I love what the guys at Triple Whale are doing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, but they're, they were talking about, hey, don't, don't obsess over ROAS. You got to know ROAS. Obviously, it's an important metric. You got to know it, but that's not the ultimate business metric, and that's not your ultimate financial metric, right? It's just, it, it serves a purpose but if you become too focused on it, or if your agency or marketing person is like, "Well, ACOS is good," so I don't know why you're upset. Like, ACOS is great. Uh, well, that's that's not the that's not the God metric. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I like that. Um, cool. So, so how do you then? How did you look at this in your business, or how do you look at it, or how do you coach people? And I know we've kind of we've we've talked about it a little bit already, but how should we look at it? Uh, ACOS versus profitability and EBITDA and all those things. Well, I know, like specifically for my business on Amazon, like our God metric. If you know your God metric, you got to use it everywhere. And so for us, we're using contribution profit, absolute profit dollars. We're met, we're like every time we meet in our L10 meeting, we're looking at what our net margin, how it's trending over time. We have a specific goal in mind of net margin to accomplish that we're trying to achieve. And I think a lot of just the agencies that I talk to don't matter like they're interested in capitalizing on your spend, right? Either a percentage of revenue, PPC revenue, sometimes it's the total revenue, sometimes it's your spend. And um, I had to really shift 
away from the agency that I was working with specifically because like it was almost like we were worshiping a false a false god. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know we I mean some of those models work, right? And there's there's not a perfect pricing model, but as an agency, you know, we we do the the percentage of ad spend thing and in, in some cases percentage of sales. But the the key though is you've got to have line of sight into the, the most important metrics and then and then you're really optimizing on those those key metrics. So so kind of the the ACOS keeps us kind of in within certain guardrails and that's what we see most closely in the platform where the ads are, but it's that contribution margin and overall profit that that's that's really what we're that's our north star that's where we're, that's where we're headed. And, that's amazing. Um yeah, I think that's that's a, a super important discussion to make and when you're talking uh, I would love to to get kind of your take on it because you said you were you kind of the business was a little bit back burner for a while as you're building and selling Cubana and whatnot. But once you started talking about contribution margin and, and focusing on profitability at the the highest level of leadership, what did that do for the the rest of your team? So a few things. So I took over this business. It was a mess. I'm, I'm not gonna. It was really, and I didn't want to take it over. So um, was this the family business, like long time business or something, or so, business you started so, a long time ago? My family business. My, my family had a, a vacuum retail store. I started private label, uh, to, really officially in 2009, and this is my own standalone business, private label on Amazon. Nice. And um, again, it hasn't gotten a lot of love. It didn't light me up. I really wanted to maximize like my outcome, and for me, it was focusing on software uh, that really lit me up. That really got me excited. I know a lot of people love building products and launching on Amazon and doing that, and that just wasn't something that I wanted to focus on. So I had other people focusing on it, not, and it's all about having the right butts in the right seat. And I just lost sight of the business. So um, I tried hiring two other individuals and uh, without going into too much detail, it didn't work out. And then I started implementing L10 meetings, which is an EOS practice. It's on, on traction, yeah, the book traction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in EO Gene as with, well with Gene. Uh, and... Um, just started focusing on like where are the problems and how to assess those problems out. So one of the problems was price. Another problem was the fact that we had too much inventory. We had a lot of stale inventory. We were getting hit. And the other piece was like our listings were unoptimized. They were dusty. Like a listing of two that from 2012 is different from a listing of 2022 or 2023. So um, I started implementing that. And uh, we actually just had our first net profit positive net profit, net margin of profitability in the month of December. And I think that's the first time in like 18 months awesome. now. Yeah. So super that's cool. a big deal. So, so pretty, pretty quick turnaround really when you, when you think about it. And so that, that one, that traction system, which great book, US, uh, is it Gene Wickman or Eugene Wickman? Anyway, uh, Gene. yeah, yeah, Gene. Yeah. It's a great book. So, uh, check that out. But yeah, from that, that L10, you know, uh, top level leadership meeting, identifying what needs to change. And you did that. And now you're in the money, which is awesome. Um, very cool. So uh, you kind of dropped a, we, we, we teased out some truth bombs that we might be dropping on Amazon. And you said something, Chad, uh, we've been using some religious terms. You, you dropped something that was a bit like heresy, a bit like blasphemy uh, earlier when we were on the uh, uh, talking, you said if you were starting a new brand today, you might not even launch on Amazon to begin with. Uh, so, so talk me through that. What what has led you to that spot, and unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's having a criteria of what you're going to be. I mean, if you are going to launch a product on Amazon, 
Now, I do believe in the power of Amazon, by the way. Absolutely. I just think yeah. it's... The behemoth. There's, and I think you used the proper word early on. Uh, and I, I, There's just like so much saturation on Amazon. I don't know if you use that mm-hmm. word, but essentially there's a lot of saturation. So yeah. I would be... The shelves there, are full. Or the shelves are full on Amazon. Yeah. Shelves are full. I love that. Yeah. Um, I would establish like criteria for how you're going to approach Amazon going forward. So... No, I, I like to use like I'm, I'm I like EO and I, I like experience shares and so one of the reasons why I love AI is that it improves over time. Um, essentially, it becomes a highly differentiated product and has self improvement. And so, if you can do that with software, you can likely do that with your product on Amazon. An example would be like I know this is like a high level product, but essentially it's like uh, the Nest thermostat. Right, it gets better over time. It takes years to copy that product because it gets better. Like now, my Nest knows when I'm home and when I'm not home, and adjusts my temperature accordingly. Yeah, so I think there's like establishing a new set of criteria, right, to win on Amazon going forward. Because like what got you to 2022 isn't going to take you to 2025 or 2026. And you know this, you've been in this game for a long time, right? What you know on Amazon expires every three months. Totally, yep. But if you build the foundation right, right? If you build the product right from the ground up, you build a highly differentiated product, right? There's some scarcity of supply. You have a product that improves over time, whatever that is. I'm, I, you come up with it yourself. And you find like sleepy verticals and where if someone buys your product, for example, a Nest, they're not gonna buy the Anchor Nest. For right. a good reason, right? It, you become a lot more strategic in your process and the way that you're building your product on Amazon. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting. I mentioned this to you before we hit record. I, I posted a, a, a poll on on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And then, quick plug: I would love to follow you guys on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I'm committing to at least the first half of this year going hard on social media, making connections, having fun. And I may continue. Hopefully, I'll continue. But for now, you'll find me there. You'll find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. But I posed the question: If you were launching an e-commerce brand today, what would you do? Would you launch that on Shopify or other platform, go D to C, drive traffic, build a brand, build a demand, build like a following, and then launch on Amazon? Or would you launch on Amazon first and then look to go D to C later? And it was interesting. It was a heated debate. You can find it uh, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. If you look at my profiles, at Brett Curry Twitter, uh, the Brett Curry on, on LinkedIn. But it was, it was slightly in favor of Shopify, about 55%, something like that, said, go D2C first. I think the real answer is you probably got to understand your product. Is it, is it more of a demand capture type thing where people are searching for it and you need that, that search traffic because Amazon is driven by search? It also depends on your skill set. What are you good at and what can you do? But I much prefer, if we're talking about pricing optimization and profit maximization, I love driving traffic, building a brand off Amazon first. Because then when you launch on Amazon, you can likely better protect those those profits. And so, yeah, wh- wh- where would you, wh- what would be your take on that on that topic? Uh, so, funny, you're just getting into social media and I'm also getting into it. So, I just posted dude, the... You, you've got a good, I actually saw it. you got a good following on, on LinkedIn, man. I don't know what you're doing. but uh, well, I'm happy to share offline, by the way. I, wanna, I, can, I can help. Let's do it. Okay, It's thanks. something I'm passionate about. Uh, so I just posted something about the the Hoka exclusive monetization strategy on uh, on LinkedIn yesterday, and Amazon is a gateway drug to find high value customers for your brand. Yes, and it's like 
50 like people start on Amazon and sometimes they never leave, but they always, a lot of people start on Amazon. It's not Google. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's never been easier to just create a seller account on Amazon. You build a product, you drive some traffic to it. You'll have far better uh, return on ad spend and thus enhancing your profit uh, on Amazon specifically. And so I would start, for me, I would start on Amazon. And then once I have a good core hero skew on Amazon, I would start building off Amazon, um, like exclusive, which is what, what, what Hoka does. Like they, they launch their exclusive products on their own website, mm-hmm. but they have their generic ho-hum, nilly vanilla product on amazon.com for social proof, for exploration, for discovery. If people just want the black ones and they get them on the second time purchase off of Amazon. Yeah, I think that's smart too. And, and I, I think really regardless of where you begin or where you are now in your journey, because I know uh, most likely talk as I interact with listeners at events and stuff, a lot of the people listening already have a business. So whether you start on Amazon or, or started off Amazon, I love that strategy of core products, hero products on Amazon, but exclusives, new releases, other things off Amazon. And I do think it comes down to your skill set, right? Like you know Amazon, you know how to crush it on Amazon. If there's somebody that understands Shopify and understands Facebook ads and YouTube ads and Google ads, do that, right? But uh, there's not, not a real right or wrong answer there. But one cool thing that's happened, we did this with uh, Boom by Cindy Joseph, Ezra Firestone's company. Uh, launched them on Amazon. They had not been on Amazon for years. Company had been around for maybe a decade or so. Uh, we added 15% to the, the top line almost immediately. Profitable growth, didn't diminish growth on other channels. There's also like this group of people, group of buyers, and, and potentially, you know, our, our parents or grandparents or whoever, that they only want to buy on Amazon. If they're going to buy, buy online, they're buying on Amazon only. And if you're running traffic off Amazon, you're driving people to Amazon right now, whether you mean to or not, because that's just where people like to go to, to, to shop. And so, so yeah, no, no right or wrong answer there. But I think regardless of where you, where you start or, or uh, where you launch, pricing strategy, product strategy, uh, and, and so actually, let's double click on that a little bit. Do you, what else do you recommend there in terms of product strategy for on Amazon versus off Amazon? And how does that tie into pricing? Any other thoughts there? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is you want to have as least channel conflict as possible because Amazon does, Amazon wants best pricing or price parity yes. across the channels. So look, we've built suppression monitoring into our systems, but I'll give you an example. There was a cosmetic company that we were working with, a prophecy, and they had a bigger issue. They were like, the holy grail for them was like, let's get our product into Target. So Target started buying their product, and it became like 5% of their revenue. So Amazon's 95%, Target's now 5%. Well, the Target collection at Amazon, uh, the Target collection started to not do well. So Target wanted some concessions. So what does that mean? Target wants some concessions. That means you have to lower your price on Amazon. And it becomes, it's like sort of like Target hijacked the 5% of their revenue, and now it's messing with the 95% of the revenue. So it's very important to calibrate and to really think about this before you get in. Like I know it's so awesome to be in Target or to be in Sephora and to see it on the shelf in the physical world. But at the same time, it can have some like devastating consequences and unintended yeah. that can really hurt your business. Yeah. Yeah, so thinking about that, minimizing that channel conflict. Any any tips for that? How do we minimize channel conflict? And I know you did quite a bit of that with with Cubana back in the day, but thoughts there? So uh, a couple of things. You can have, now Amazon's done a little smart about this in the diaper category specifically, but if you can, you can actually 
zoom out and do this in other categories and it's not so significant, which is having different SKUs, having a different collection. So for example, the Gap has their outlet, right? And they make products specifically for the outlet than they do for Gap.com, then in-store. And this JCrew does the same thing. So having a different collection and different bundle kit variation and even different ounces uh, size specifically on different channels could prevent that from happening. That's just like one idea. Nice. Yeah, that, that's where I think a lot of manufacturers do that, right? They have the, the TV exclusives for Best Buy, right? You can only buy this particular version in Best Buy, and this is the, the version for Walmart. And we know the guts are probably pretty similar, but there's, there's just enough changes to make it uh, where it's exclusive to that to that retailer, whichever retailer wants. So. Another example would be like, uh, I think it's, is it Kia or Hyundai? I think it's maybe Kia has the Genesis, right? Or, yeah. Or like Toyota has a Lexus, right? Having two different types of, it doesn't have to be a different name, right? That's a little bit extreme. That means two different marketing budgets, but that's one thing. If you do have channel conflict and you want to, and you want to keep pricing a specific way, the price on Amazon becomes your, your floor, uh, you give us your floor price. So you give us your floor price yeah. and your ceiling price. And those are the boundaries that we operate within to, to maximize profits for you. So th and Amazon different... needs to be the floor. That's what they want. That's what they require. And if you don't do that, you're going to, you're going to have trouble on it on Amazon. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, Chad, this has been amazing. So I want I want to talk about prophecy now because I know you built something really, really cool. Kind of sprinkled some nuggets, you know, throughout talking about what it does. It's AI driven as dynamic pricing adjustments, but, but, but talk to us more about that. What's, what's the quick explanation of here's who it's for. Here's how it works. Here's why you should consider it. Yeah. So we are for private label brands. Uh, we don't, you know, there's tons of people that live and die by the buy bots. We live and die by the SERP on Amazon. We believe that you can dynamically adjust price to maximize profit at different times of the day to maximize your profit without sacrificing your BSR on Amazon. So we predict the perfect price at the perfect moment for the perfect customer to make sure we're making you more money. We do that with AI. Why? Because there's a gold mine of information both from Amazon.com, specifically from Seller Central and the API of ads, along with um, a surplus of data that you can mine from third parties and pull it into the model so the model can actually be self-learning and learn from your data to figure out uh, really what the Amazon algorithm wants, how your competitors react, and to constantly learn from those signals to maximize the outcome for your business. So. Yeah, very, yeah. very cool. And then, you know, we talked about, hey, you can do some stuff manually. You, you can build a spreadsheet. You can start calculating things, do stuff on a daily basis, but ain't, ain't nobody got time for that, right? <laughs> like, and you're pulling data from lots of different places and then putting that into models and, and coming up with those prices. And so uh, what what are some of the things there that, that the algorithm is considering? Is it looking at competitive price and then it's looking at kind of what, what conversion rates are and, and ads and things like that and it's trying to find that, that optimal? I mean, there's so many signals. So your own price, your reviews, the quality of your view, reviews, the quantity of the reviews, your BSR, uh, what else? Uh, your inventory position, if you're FBA or not FBA, we do a reverse ASIN lookup on your competitors, suck in their price, suck in their reviews, pull in all the imaginable signals on those competitor PDPs, those product detail pages, uh, and we're doing that every single day, like doing that 24-7. So... It's, it's really all about boosting profits and going away from like, hey, we're going to statically, like Uber Surge, Uber has something called surge pricing, which dynamically changes pricing. Most sellers are just guessing or slapping a margin on their product and statically leaving it there. 
Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make any sense. And so in this right. fast place marketplace of Amazon, how do you be fast paced? You do it with AI. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. And so any any case studies or examples that you can talk about? I know there's probably a lot. I know in the Amazon world, for those that are not in it, very secretive. Very secretive, these Amazon sellers. They don't want their name out there in any way, shape, or form. But but any any case studies that you can share? Yeah. So there's one company uh, that's on our website, one that was willing to speak, and there's gonna be more coming up as we as we move into our next. We're still early, right? We're, we've been building in this model for the for the past year. Uh, but one company called Wall Charmers, they do uh, decor. They're in the decor category on Amazon, and uh, they were leaving some serious money on the table. We made them an extra 30% more in profits, and which has you know an amazing effect not just on their EBITDA but on like they want to sell at some point in the future. And so think about applying not just the increase of EBITDA, but the EBITDA multiple you get on that increase. It's huge. And it's um, huge that, yeah, 30% increase and you multiply whatever that dollar amount is by three, four, up to seven or more, you know, depending on uh, how healthy your business is and who the buyer is. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's very significant. Um, Chad, if people want to uh, follow you on social, you're a great follow on LinkedIn. I know that for sure. Uh, how can they find you? You can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Chad Rubin. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm also starting, I'm new to Twitter. I've uh, definitely been involved in LinkedIn for quite a time, so I'm doing both now, similar to you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, it's, it's Chad Rubin. You can email me, and my personal email is chad at prophecy.com. Feel free to reach out if you're interested in talking price, if you're interested in talking PPC, if you're interested in just talking about Amazon or need uh, someone to bounce ideas off, I want to make sure I'm available to the community. Awesome. Really appreciate it, man. And it's, it should be uh, blatantly clear now. Chad knows his stuff. He knows the game. He's been in a long time. Very, very successful. Uh, so other ways people can check out Prophecy uh, on, on the webs, on the interwebs. What's your, what's your address? It's just prophecy.com, P-R-O-F-A-S-E-E.com. Awesome. And we will link to everything in the show notes, including your social, so people can check that out. If you forget, you can find it on uh, omgcommerce.com under... The podcast will link to it. But uh, Chad, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, enjoying nerding out with you and talking, uh, dropping some Amazon truth bombs, talking M&A. Super, super fun. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you. So if you've not done so, hey, we'd love that review on iTunes. Helps other people find the show. Makes my day. I may give you a shout out on the show if you leave a review on iTunes. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.